0: This morning we get to talk about one of my favorite stories, and that, that's the story of Lazarus. We've been in this Sunday morning series looking at, through this Lenten time at a series called Restore Us. And this morning we are looking as we explore the story of Lazarus to, for God to restore in us um, freedom as we learn to let go of things in life. So this morning we are going to be looking at John 11 and the story of Lazarus. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 45. We are not going to unpack all of those, but we are going to read them all this morning so that we hear the whole story. Our Lent journey so far through the series of Restore Us has been a great one. It's been a series in which we've been looking to find and create space in the midst of our busy lives to be transformed by the story of Jesus, as he was led to his death and ultimately his resurrection. I want you to keep that in mind as we read this morning the story of Lazarus. I encourage you to open up your Bible to John 11, or you will also be able to find it in the Red Pew Bible in front of you. John 11, 1-45. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short time ago, the Jews there tried to stone you and you want to go back there? Jesus answered, are there not twelve days of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that He stumbles, for he has no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell him, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. And his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of death, but his disciples thought that he had meant natural sleep. So when he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe... But let us go to him. Then Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in a tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in their loss of their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said, your brother will rise again. And Martha said, I know he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? "'Yes, Lord,' she told him. "'I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, "'who was and is to come into the world.' "'And after she said this, she went back "'and called her sister Mary aside. "'The teacher is here,' she said, "'and he's asking for you.' "'When Mary heard this, she got up and quickly went to him. "'Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, "'but was still at the place where Martha had met him. "'And when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comfort "'were comforting her, "'noticed how quickly she got up and went out,' They too quickly followed her, supposing she was going to go to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? Jesus asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus once more was deeply moved, and he came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time... The bad odor, it's going to be too bad for he's been in there for four days. And Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped still with strips of linen and cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off those grave clothes and let him go. The story of Lazarus is a peculiar one. It's a peculiar one by any standard. And it has so many layers and lessons to it weaved out through its 44 verses. It's a story, as we read it, that we can't help but be infatuated with it because it defies all known reality. And actually, the interesting part is John is the only person that tells this story. It's not Luke, the doctor, the physician, who who investigates everything so that it can be thoroughly recorded that tells this story. It's not Matthew, the lover of history, who incorporates historical terms into his writing that tells this story. He doesn't want to say anything on this story. Peter, the gung-ho fisherman who loves to share shocking stories, doesn't elaborate on this story. Mark, the follower of Jesus, who looks to write with a political bent at any chance he can, doesn't touch this story. Instead, it's John. John, who calls himself throughout the New Testament, the disciple whom Jesus loved. The interesting part about John being the one to tell this story is that as we read it, you might have heard that it was pointed out that Lazarus was also a friend that Jesus loved. And when he cried, people said, see how he loved him. It's John, the disciple whom Jesus loves, that shares this intimate story with this guy who also gets named as one that Jesus loves. We love telling this story to our kids. It's a story in which we hold hope, and we talk about how Jesus has the ability over life and death, and it's through this story that we have the hope to live forever and ever. But at the core of this story, this story really isn't a promise of eternal life. In fact, when Mary and Martha tried to bring that up, Jesus redirects them and says, I'm talking about a different glory that you will see. There are three themes that are weaved out oh, that's interesting throughout this story. Three consistent themes. Trust. Throughout this story, people question Jesus and his actions because of their lack of trust in him. And we're going to unpack that in a minute. Power. In this story, we learn that Jesus has the power over life and death, all things physical and spiritual, but not only in this world, but the one to come in eternity. We learn the reality of those who trust in Jesus will experience the goodness of God in the here and the now, and for all of eternity. However, Jesus bringing back his friend, who by this time would have been smelly and four days in the grave, isn't the only peculiar thing in this story. There's actually three other really peculiar things that happen in this story. Realistically, with travel time included, this is the first one, realistically, with travel time included, Lazarus was already dead by the time the servant would have gotten to Jesus. So in Jewish culture, when a burial is performed, the minute somebody passed, it was important for them in their tradition to begin the process right away. We didn't, they didn't wait for the weekend or anything like that. It had to be done right there. And so by the time that Jesus shows up to Lazarus and to Mary and Martha, he's been dead four days. So it's about three miles in between Judea and where Jesus was at. And so it took about a day of travel for the average person with all the, the traffic and different things you had to go through, checkpoints. And so it took about a day of travel. So by the time the servant shows up to say, come Jesus, come, Lazarus was probably already dead. Instead of going to console right away, Jesus says, yeah, I'm going to wait two more days and then go. And then Jesus has his own travel day. So that's four days in which uh, Realistically, uh, we notice that one of the peculiar things is this guy was dead before Jesus even got there. It was alerted that to come. The second thing we see is Jesus loves his followers, but he doesn't go to them in a time of need, and he doesn't console them even when he shows up. When he sees Mary and Martha, Mary and Martha come to him, but he doesn't share his sympathy with them. It's interesting to know that Jesus is pointed out in his story time and time again about how he loves Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, but he doesn't console them, and he doesn't leave right away for them. That's peculiar. The third thing that is peculiar about this story is so much of how Lazarus is buried. The interactions with Mary and Martha, the way the stone is before the tomb, is actually a foreshadow of what's to come for Jesus. But perhaps for me, the most peculiar thing of this story is that Jesus lets a friend, someone that he loves and cares for deeply, die, and with a purpose. You know, as a parent, I love my kids, and I would do anything for them. In fact, I want the best for their success, their survival, their faith, their learning. And parents, what we do is we love, and we want to protect our kids at all costs. And we want our kids to learn from lessons in life, but usually we try to step in and stop them before they do anything too stupid and hurt themselves, right? I have a daughter that likes to climb on a dining room table if you leave a chair out, and then she goes, jump, jump, right? Do I let her jump so that she learns she shouldn't do that? No. No. When harm does come to one of our kids, then we rush like helicopter parents, and we and we need we go at all costs of doctors and 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 uh, emotions to make sure that they are better, and we and we look after them. But in this sto- story, Jesus doesn't do that. In fact. We- we do that. We build this trust with our kids. When we go out of our way to care for them, we, we d- develop this equity of trust with them. And in fact, sometimes when we're trying to get our kids to try something new, we even use that trust equity that we've built through those times to our advantage. We say, oh, it's not scary. It won't hurt. Trust me. I'm mom and dad. Mommy and daddy won't let anything happen to you, right? How many parents have ever said something like that? Trust me, eating those peas won't hurt you. But in this story, what we see is that Jesus actually challenges the trust of his followers. He does not go out of his way to stop them from falling on their face. In fact, in this story, what we find most peculiar is that Jesus let harm come to one of his children. And he actually does nothing about it. His followers seemingly have a hard time trusting him in the midst of that. There are no less than six places that Jesus challenges trust in this story. First, Jesus challenges trust by not responding to those who trusted him to do something. Quick, quick, come. Mary and Martha want you to know their brother is dying and they know that he'll be okay if you come. Ah, I'm going to be here for two more days. Jesus challenges trust by not responding to those who trusted him to do something. Secondly, when we find that Jesus finally makes up his mind to leave, he challenges the trust of his disciples as they try to challenge his desire to go into hostile lands. All right, guys, we're going to fix Lazarus now. Um, Jesus, the last time we were in that town, those big scary guys picked up stones. You remember that whole thing? They were trying to kill you. We're not going there, okay? like I'm, I trust you, Jesus, but not that much. Are you sure that's what we're supposed to be doing? The third place Jesus challenges trust is when he says he's going to help Lazarus, his disciples try to tell him then, oh, he's only sleeping, and he'll get better. At the end of the day, they didn't trust that Jesus was actually needed. Jesus, that's a scary land. You said he's sleeping. It's no big deal. We don't need to go there. He'll be fine when he wakes up, and you know his flu will be gone. They weren't listening to what Jesus was saying because they didn't actually trust that Jesus was needed. The fourth thing where Jesus challenges trust is when Martha says, Jesus, if you were here, my brother would not have died. Actually, Mary says the same thing. Both of them trusted that Jesus' power was only on this side of the grave. If you were here, he would not have died. But now you're here and it's four days late. Fifth, Jesus challenges trust When Martha says that she knows she will see her brother again on the final day, Jesus says, hey, don't worry, you'll see your brother again. And she says, yeah, I know I'm going to see him on the final day. It'll be good. It's that hope we all hold on to. It's those things we say at funerals. But Jesus says, no, you don't see the goodness of God that was accessible from the kingdom in the here and the now. Jesus wasn't talking about that final day. Jesus was talking about something he wanted to do. But she could only trust him with her eternity and not her moment. Do you get that? We often trust Jesus with our eternity, but not our moment. The sixth way that we see Jesus challenge trust is when Jesus asks Martha if she really believes he, who he is and what he claims to be and what he's promised. Do you really believe I am who I say I am? Yes, Jesus, we believe you're the Messiah. Why are you still thinking about the eternity alone? However, not only do we see Jesus challenge trust in his story, we also see Jesus model healthy trust in his story. At first, Mary trusts Jesus is going to heal her brother if he comes. That's a good starting place. Jesus, come to us. I know that if you come, Lazarus will be okay. My brother will be okay. That's a huge trust in Jesus. Kind of goes downhill after that. but Secondly, Jesus has a trust in the Father that he'll be protected as he travels in a hostile land. He has the light, so he knows that he can walk and he will be protected. He challenges his disciples that says, you're not thinking heavenly like, so you're going to just walk around in the darkness. But I'm telling you, I have a trust in the Father who is a light. Thomas trusts Jesus, ironically, number three, that if Jesus is going to die, he might as well too. I love Thomas in this story. Because it's a really peculiar thing the way that the scriptures include Thomas's words and no one else's. But Jesus says, "No, no, we are going to Judea, and we are going to help Lazarus." And after the disciples try to stop him by saying, "No, he's just sleeping. No, we don't want to go to that hostile land," Thomas says, and out of all people, Thomas, who trusts Jesus with a moment but not his eternity, apparently, says, "Hey, um, I'm throwing my hat in. If we're going there to die, I'm going along too." It's it's just interesting to see that he says, "If." Jesus is going there. We might as well go with him and die too. What a trust. What a trust in that moment that, hey, if Jesus is actually going to do this, I'm going to go along with him. Number four, Jesus invites Martha to trust him as the I am. And fifth, Jesus trusts God to always hear his prayer and to grant his request. At the end of that, as he's gathered before everyone, he says, God, I know, I trust that you hear my prayers. And I know that you always hear them. I'm not only saying that for the sake of those that are eavesdropping on me right now. It's a great sense of trust. Trust is a really big thing to Jesus. Think about some of these. Trust is a really big thing to Jesus. We see it time and time again throughout interactions with Jesus. In John 14, 1, Jesus tells his disciples, trust in God, but also trust in me. When Peter walks on the water... Jesus, uh, when Peter and Jesus walk on the water, Jesus is quick to point out to Peter, the reason you failed at that is because you let doubt come in. You didn't trust me enough. In Mark 5, when a priest's daughter dies, I love this story. When the priest's daughter dies, Jesus' reply to him is this, don't be afraid, only believe. And in some translations it says, "Don't, don't succumb to fear, only trust. In John 3.16, a scripture we all know well, Jesus says, Everyone who believes or trusts in him will not perish but have eternal life. Trust is a big deal to Jesus. It's important to realize that at this time, the story of Lazarus, Jesus was already beginning his exit strategy. It's just two chapters later that he's beginning to tell his disciples how he's going to leave, and he's beginning to comfort them. He needed to know that his followers truly trusted him. In this looming season, Jesus finds it important to really drill on his followers the idea of trust. And that's why I think we see it weaved throughout this story. Jesse Lynn Stoner, author of Full Steam Ahead, explains true trust like this. People who follow leaders by choice, without trust, at best, you'll get compliance. People follow leaders by choice. Without trust, at best, you'll get compliance. Jesus needed to make sure that his followers were really trusting him. They needed to make sure, he needed to make sure they just weren't showing compliance with him. Do you really trust me with everything? Thomas, when you say, hey, you might as well come die with me, do you really mean that? Do you really believe I am the I am, even if I let your brother die? Do you believe I am the I am if we go into a land where they want to stone me? Jesus is drilling throughout this story the idea of trust. Why was Jesus so focused on trusting, uh, challenging the trust of his followers in his story? Because Jesus knew that if he was going to trust them with the big things of the kingdom, he needed to know that they had complete and full trust in him with the little things. Albert Einstein explains this type of trust like this. Whoever is careless with the truth in small matters cannot be trusted with important matters. Challenging his followers with trust in death was only a small matter compared to what Jesus had planned to come. So if, if death of a friend is a small thing, what were the big things for Jesus that were worth challenging over? Why did he need to challenge his friend's trust? First, Jesus was leaving. He needed to make sure his investment would carry on without him. I have spent the past three years pouring everything I am into you guys. I have showed you the Father. I have released you in power. Can I trust that the minute I leave this earth, you are actually going to keep doing my Father's stuff? Right now, it's not looking so good. You keep trying to talk me out of everything. Two. He was going to give his followers access to the kingdom of God. Just a few chapters later in John, Jesus is promising his followers access to the kingdom through the Holy Spirit. And he says, But I tell you, for your good sake, I'm going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Then again in Acts, But you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit when it comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem and throughout Judea. Notice he uses Judea where people want to stone him in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus is making sure that his investment is going to continue and that they are ready for the bigger thing of the kingdom access. Third, he wants them to have the promise of eternal life in the kingdom of heaven. This promise is found in our story of Lazarus. Martha knows that she will see Lazarus again in the next life. And we hear it as Jesus promises her that he really is the I am. And lastly, we see it two chapters later when Jesus promises his disciples in John 14 that before leaving, I invite you to trust in me as the I am. And that I'm going to prepare a room for you. We also see it as a promise in correlation to Jesus' promise of the Holy Spirit. In that story of Acts where he says, I'm going to enable you to even go back into Judea. He then promises them that, begins to ascend on a cloud. And as they're just kind of staring, watching, and he's almost out of reach, in front of them, two robed guys show up. And they say to him, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven. But someday he will return from heaven in the same way that you saw him go. The greater things are that they needed to hold their identity to the return of Christ. to Eternity would meet with them. So what's this mean for us? Obviously, through the story we learn that sometimes God allows bad things to happen to good people. Jesus let a really bad thing happen to someone he loved dearly. Sometimes Jesus allows those bad things to happen for a greater plan. I love when, I don't love it, but it's peculiar and worth noting that Jesus says that, oh, it's for the God's glory that, you know, Lazarus has gotten sick. Not usually how we respond to our colds, our man colds or whatever else we get, right? Oh, it's just for God's glory. In all reality, sometimes we learn to really live by dying. That's something we see in this story. How much trust do we have in Jesus? Jesus challenges our trust. Remember the benefits of this story that Jesus points out. Jesus and his timing alone can be trusted. Mary and Martha wanted Jesus right now, but he said, I'll be there in three days. I'm going to stay here for two more and then a day of travel. Jesus has the power over everything in this world and the next. Sometimes Jesus allows us to experience Seemingly uneasy death in an area of our life. And for those who trust in Jesus, they will experience life after dying to something. Lazarus, in this story, is succumbed by the binds of death. But as he is brought back, he's not brought back in heaven, but back into the same life that he was living with a new lease on life. Mary, Martha, and the disciples all fell short of fully trusting Jesus in his story. Jesus still went on to model healthy trust with the Father for them. And each one of us, if we would sit and talk about it and be honest with ourselves and each other, each one of us falls short of trusting Jesus in the way he wants us to be able to. This morning, I believe Jesus has two invitations for us in His passage. One of those is that he's inviting us to surrender to him in a season of Lent and allow him to restore in us a healthy model of trust in the Father. In his story, Jesus says, It's good I let Lazarus die because now you'll have to trust in me after you see what I'm about to do. It's good I let my friend die so that you could see what I'm about to do so you really have trust in me. This morning... What is Jesus asking you to die to in your life? So you can have restored in you a healthy trust of the Father. For some of you, maybe it's your attitude. Maybe it's your desire to be in control. Maybe it's your wealth. Maybe it is your quality of life. Maybe it is your health. Maybe it is your doubt. Maybe it is a powerful position you hold. Or the negativity that defines your life. Maybe it's the fear you have of something, or your fear of something in life, or your fear of even death. Or maybe, for some of you, it's even your life itself. Hear Jesus say, it is good I'm going to let you die to that. It's good I'm going to let you fall flat on your face and not help you. So now you'll really have to trust in me and in my Father second part of this invitation I think Jesus has for us this morning is Jesus invites us to experience restoration in our trust with the Father. Trust that the Father hears you. Did you see that Jesus spoke that to God so that everyone could hear him? He was modeling what healthy trust looked like with a Father. Trust that the Father hears you. Trust that the Father will answer your prayers for his glory. Jesus is praying for the resurrection of Lazarus for the glory of God. And three, trust that the Father restores in you life after allowing something to die in your life. So the Lord may be inviting you to let something die, but be sure that if you are a follower of Jesus, that there is life on the other side of that. And when you come out of the other side of that, you will be able to hear Jesus release you in that way. Sometimes Jesus invites us to die to something and to be restored by the Father in new ways. Those times can be uncomfortable, and sometimes we can come out of a very dark spot, maybe a little cave with a stone rolled around it, and we smell a little bit more like death than we'd want to. Other times we might walk out of the grave and not smell so bad that we think we do, kind of like Lazarus. However, Jesus still cares for us in these moments. Even as we are experiencing the tension of death and resurrection, Jesus weeps because of his care for his friend. Death had bound itself to Lazarus. It took him to the grave, and after that, and only after that, could Jesus actually give him real freedom. When Jesus declared freedom over Lazarus, he says these words, and I love these words in this passage, Unwrap him and let him go. In other words, take off the grip of death and set him free. He came out to imagine it looked kind of funny he was all wrapped up for for his burial and he you know would have not been able to see uh he would kind of had this traditional looking mummy garb and he would kind of come out and jesus just looks at him and says unwrap that man take those binds those 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 cloths of death off him and set him free this morning i think jesus is inviting some of us to die to something so that we can experience restoration of trust in the father Plead before the Father until you hear him speak over you. Unwrap him, unwrap her from that thing that holds death over this son or this daughter. He goes on and says, set him or free. Let that thing not hold death or compete for my trust over them anymore. So as the worship team comes forward to close our time, think about this question. What has its death grip and rags on you? What needs to die for you to experience a restoration of God's trust and freedom? Because if you're looking to control something, you're not trusting God with it. And that's probably a first sign of something you need to let go so that God can give you full trust in him.